I was led into this room and a man was sitting on a couch wearing just a towel wrapped around his waist. And I could see straight up this man's towel. And yeah, it's a little bit like a car accident. I wanted to keep looking even though I knew that I really shouldn't. I've noticed from telling stories on this podcast how often life turns on a moment. A moment when you make a decision to do something or say something, and from that one split second decision, all kinds of things can follow. This is definitely one of those times. It's the tale of a high achieving university student who one day plucked up the courage to answer a small advertisement in the newspaper. That one phone call led her into a double life. Well, at least until her cover was blown. Just a wee word of warning, there are adult themes in this episode. Lee Hopkinson grew up on the west coast, around 20 kilometres from Greymouth. I was a tomboy. Her childhood was spent climbing trees. And learning how to build huts. Hanging out with her brother. Yeah, spending a lot of time out of doors. Not to mention her pet goats. On Saturdays, her mum drove her into town for junior athletics. I was super competitive. And smart, a straight A student with all the hallmarks of an overachiever. As a teenager, she was sent to boarding school in Christchurch and for a tree-climbing, hut-building, goat-patting nerd, it didn't really hit the spot. Sharing a dorm with eight other 13-year-olds and having every hour of my day accounted for, I was incredibly frustrated. It being taught, I guess, I wanted to learn from experience, not be told how life may be. Finally leaving school to study politics at Canterbury University felt to Lee like life was at last getting interesting. She moved into a flat with a friend and her parents paid for all her expenses. All she really needed was a part-time job or two for pocket money. I was initially working uh, as a waitress at a restaurant part-time. I lost the waitressing job. I was fired because I wasn't very good at it. Um, And... Then I was looking for another job. For a couple of weeks I'd been looking in the situations vacant and I kept coming across these ads for lingerie dancers wanted. I think it said something along the lines of fantastic money, flexible hours, all training provided. Yeah, one of those too good to be true kind of ads. There was a part of me that knew that this probably wasn't a very good idea. But I kept being drawn to the ad, so I worked up the courage one particular day to phone up and find out what this may involve. I was just so nervous. The woman at the other end of the phone was really monotone and very unhelpful. I bumbled out. Actually, no, I said, I'm phoning up about the ad in the paper. And she said, which one is that? And I said, the one for lingerie dancers wanted. And then she said, well, you know, we want strippers, don't you? And I said, well, no. (laughs) And she said, is that all right? And I said, well, yes, yes. The woman hung up while Lee was still saying goodbye. She thought that was a bit rude. But she had other more pressing things to think about than good manners. Like what to wear. Her audition was at four o'clock that afternoon. 
I chose um, a red singlet top and matching mini skirt that were both from an op shop um, and this awful pair of red stilettos looking back they were patent leather and um, I think they were the shoes from from my high school ball and I wore a lot of makeup a lot of red lipstick and really outlined my eyes I, I was going for my best slut look then she got into her trusty old brown Vauxhall Viva and headed for her downtown destination, which was more specifically a massage parlour called Pleasures. I left lots of time for the interview. I wanted to make sure that I arrived on time. I parked up across the road and proceeded to sit in my car and sweat. <laughs> I had by that stage gone through the yellow pages and put two and two together and realised that I was going to be interviewed in, in a brothel. After casing the joint for about 20 minutes, it was time to make her move. It was a really old building, so I went from the bright sunlight over the threshold and then couldn't see, it was instantly blinded by the dark and then started going up this old staircase that just seemed to wind up and up. There were posters on the walls and they said things like Half Price Massage Monday and Oil Wrestling and... Uh, oil Wrestling? I had no idea what Oil Wrestling was. <laughs> then I got to... Um, a black heavy door that with a little sign that said ring buzzer and wait. So I rang the buzzer and I was led into this room that was essentially the reception area and a man was sitting on a couch wearing just a towel wrapped around his waist and he had two quite young women curled into either armpit and uh, sitting on another one of these three couches um, was a much older woman and she was wearing a scraggly old black dress and chain smoking. And I sat down on the, on the spare couch next to the woman in the old black dress and I could see straight up this man's towel. And I, yeah, it's a little bit like a car accident. I wanted to keep looking even though I knew that I really shouldn't. Um, he was very um, happy about the fact that I could see that and that I was shocked. So, um, yeah, and I had this moment, I thought, well, if I'm not okay with this, then, then what am I doing here? Everyone in that room knew that I wasn't of that world and I was trying my hardest <laughs> to pretend that I was. But yeah, I sat there chain smoking and trying to make conversation and, um, and waiting. She was waiting for the top dog, the big cheese, the grand poo bar, or actually, just a bloke called Craig. Just at the point where I decided that this probably really wasn't a good idea and I should leave, I heard footfall coming up the stairs, really heavy footfall and this raucous laughter. And then this larger than life man barreled in talking into his mobile phone, which in those days was like an old brick. 
he was dressed all in denim. He had a pot belly. He had the neck ripped out of his t-shirt, and he had very big golden diamond rings on his fingers. So um, he's yeah, he wasn't like anyone I had come across before. And uh, he plonked himself down on the edge of the couch. And when he finally got off the phone, he he just kind of ignored me and. Then eventually he turned around and looked at me and said, and who are you? I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm Lee. It didn't occur to me that I should use a fake name. And I said, I'm, I'm here to, to audition, to dance. And he said, oh, good, you turned up. We'll need you Thursday to Saturday. And I went, um, well, would you like me to audition? And he found this really funny. He said, well, you haven't got two left feet, have you? And I said, no. And uh, his phone rang again and he beckoned for me to follow him and I went down a corridor and um, into a room. It turned out this was the one and only stripping room. And I had a chance to suss it all out while he was talking on the phone and there was a whole lot of boxes stored in the corner and there was this makeshift stage and old upturned wine barrels in this area and it certainly looked like what it was which was a storeroom trying but failing to go country and it was um it was it didn't gel with my impression of how glamorous lingerie dancing might be but if craig had noticed her surprise he didn't let on he told me to come back on thursday to think of a fake name for myself something exotic and to bring some music to dance to, and that was that. She decided on the name Holly. I liked the image of holly berries. I liked that they were bright, like my scarlet outfit. I liked that the leaves were prickly, so they were untouchable. And, yeah, we were coming up to Christmas, so I felt like that was an appropriate name choice. I put a little bit of thought into the name. And then she went home to practice. I did a little bit of rolling around in my living room on the carpet, but nothing that equated choreography. And I certainly didn't practice taking my clothes off, which is the one thing I probably should have practiced. On the night of her first strip, Lee arrived super early to practice on the pole. Candy came out with me and really generously offered to to show me what to do with the pole. So she was the woman in the old black dress who I had met on the day of my interview. And um, yeah, she was a working girl and she was stripping uh, because they were short of dancers. And um, yeah, she really generously got up on stage and showed me how to hold onto the pole and how to spin around it. And I had done gymnastics and I thought that this would be a piece of cake and it really wasn't. I spun out and landed really awkwardly and um, was picking myself up and um, that was when Craig arrived and basically said, well, we're about ready to put you on, so get your music together and get backstage. Waiting for her grand debut? I was pretty panicked actually Um, and then the music bled out and then I fumbled with the curtain backstage which was just a hole in the wall literally someone had sledgehammered a hole in the wall and draped this piece of tatty fabric across it. The audience was two working girls and their customers. It felt like a middle-aged dating debacle and there was me as the inept distraction. Um, 
one of the women was holding the hand of her customer and they, they really looked like you know, they were on a date and the other one was looking quite bored and chugging down on, on his beer, looking incredibly thirsty and with a need that I sensed alcohol wouldn't satisfy. Not that Lee, or Holly as she was now known, noticed much at all at first. And there were a few four by two stairs and I clattered my way up and out onto the stage and then treated it as I would a gymnastics routine. I, I, I was quite afraid of um, not being seen to know what I was doing. So I figured if I didn't look at anyone, I couldn't gauge their response. I could stumble my way through this. And it wasn't until I actually took off my bra that I got applause. And that really astounded me because to my mind, I hadn't done anything remarkable, but this seemed to be earning me the most feedback. So I remember clocking back and thinking, oh, this is unusual and, and pushing on. The end of my first trip, I was exhausted. I remember feeling really drained from the adrenaline, the lead up to that. And I couldn't get my clothes back on fast enough, actually. I had this kind of post-provocateur moment of shyness. I thought I'd done remarkably well. I thought that I was actually pretty good at this. And uh, I headed out to to have a debrief with Craig and he basically proceeded to tell me everything I hadn't done and what I needed to improve on, such as making eye contact and remembering the audience. And um, I was used to people telling me that I was good at things and here was someone telling me that I wasn't and I saw that as a challenge. And despite her less than stellar debut, Lee was hired to dance three nights a week. The working girls were always surprised to see me come through the door and it hadn't occurred to me that you know, I could leave any time I wanted, that I didn't have to stay, that there were better places to strip at. Um, you know, I'd been brought up to do my best and if I gave my word that I would do something that I would then follow it through. At $40 a night, ripping her clothes off in a storeroom smelling of stale beer, it wasn't exactly the well-paid glamorous job she'd been led to believe. And then one night, Craig needed a girl for another strip club he owned down the road. It was called Rockin' Rods. And this was more her style. There was a lot of neon. There was a really beautiful boutique club that he'd invested a lot of energy and, and time and money into. And I remember clanging up the stairs after him and the door being opened and the room was packed full of men. It had this really um, contained vibe to it. And uh, there was a lot of neon, there was dry ice, there was um, a dancer up on stage and she wore sequins and the whole audience was captivated by her. And um, yeah, I, I wanted to be that girl. And uh, after that night, Craig uh, moved me there a couple of days a week and that and essentially was my apprenticeship. The, the other dancers took me under their wing and showed me what I needed to do and uh, yeah, little things like how to tie your heels on so they don't come off when you high kick with old stockings. So you would cross them over your, your ankle and 
tie knots and then tuck the ends away so they wouldn't be seen and um, yeah just little things like that so I realized that that I really knew nothing and there was a lot to learn and um, and I loved being on stage I loved performing there was that part of me as, as a precocious teenage girl that really liked the attention um, I'd been aware of men looking at me on the street. Um, I'd found some of that attention unwanted, but I also saw that it had currency. And in my strife for independence, I saw that I could use that yeah, to my advantage. And I certainly um, yeah, thought I was in control of what I was doing with that. At Rock and Rods, she easily doubled the glam factor and her money. The tips were generous. You were tipped in lots of different ways. Sometimes, um, the customers would hold the money out and then slide it into the side of your g-string. Um, other times they would put it in their mouth, folded lengthwise, and you would take it between your teeth. It was a way of getting a little bit of personal attention from the dancer on stage. I did have more confidence, and I think that is where stripping can be really empowering, and that you are you can become good at something relatively quickly and you can express those parts of yourself that you were not always encouraged to express as as a young woman. Um, yeah, I certainly felt like I had found my place at that club. It didn't last, but for, for those few months where I was really doing well and um, in control of that lifestyle, I did definitely feel more confident. Lee invested in a whole new wardrobe full of sparkly costumes. She was now part stripper, part student. And sometimes the lines were well and truly blurred. I think starting stripping so young, when you're 18, 19, 20, you're still formulating your identity. And uh, I found it challenging to discern where my onstage persona stopped and where my real self started um, so within a few months of being there I'd gravitated to dyeing my hair white um, I was wearing increasingly loud clothes to university and I remember one day in particular I, I had chosen to wear a pair of thigh-high boots to a politics lecture and I'd arrived late as I was increasingly doing and uh, yeah, I remember rocking in and looking around and everyone being horrified at the way I was dressed and just shocked. They weren't adoring. Normally if I would wear something like that in the club, I would be adored for it. And uh, it, yeah, it, it was confronting to realize that not everyone was going to be receptive of that. I, I realized that the lines that I had clearly distinguished between my worlds were actually breaking down and blurring. Her family lived 250 kilometres away, so it was easy enough to keep her new career a secret from them. For a long time, Lee also managed to keep her double life from her friends and flatmates, but the deeper she plunged into life as a provocateur, the harder it was to fly under the radar. In the end, it was her friends who forced her hand. My friends and I had been going out on weekends and after about a month of me making up excuses they they confronted me and said well if you don't want to be friends anymore then that's okay and so I, I explained to them what I was doing and 
they didn't really know how to handle it. I had one friend in particular who was very shocked. The others were just a little bit confused. Um, yeah, they didn't really know why I would be drawn to this world when I was so clearly meant to be focusing on my uni studies and going in a different direction. It meant some friends drifted away, but others were fine about it and even helped her with her costumes. She never once considered giving it up. It was never solely about the money. It was the money in part because I could see that it would buy me a degree of independence. Um, but I really liked the flexibility of the work. I liked that I could choose when I wanted to work. Um, I liked that I got paid to dance, that I got paid to, to create my own costumes and um, that I was encouraged to be an exhibitionist. <laughs> and I also really, I, I mean, I was bored. I was looking for a new challenge and I'd come up against something that was far bigger than me and I was really determined to try and, yeah, to try and push through that. In those early years, Lee really felt like she had it all figured out. It seemed nothing could burst her bubble. I'd been working for probably about a year when I went to pick up my pay from, from Pleasures and I remember one day there was... Uh, a different receptionist behind the desk, a different working girl, and uh, she she took in my peroxided hair and my very assertive attitude and said very quietly, it can be a very tempting industry, but it's very hard to get out of. And I remember thinking, no, it's not. What's she talking about? I can get out any time I like. Um, so I took my pay and I remember walking down the stairs and, and wondering why she'd felt this need to warn me. There were some things though that Lee didn't know and couldn't control, like who came into the club. The night her cover was blown to her family, she had no idea. One afternoon the phone rang and it was my dad and, and he asked how work was going at the restaurant and I said very casually that it was fine and then he said well we we know you're not working there anymore you've been seen an old next door neighbor came into the club one night and I didn't see him uh, he certainly saw me and uh, proceeded to tell my family and and uh, there wasn't even time for me to come up with an excuse and uh, part of me didn't want to and uh, then I, I tried to explain that it wasn't so bad and, and then he said, well, no, I want you to, to phone your mum, she's waiting for your call and um, I was going, that was going to make me late to a sunbed appointment and I remember being annoyed at the inconvenience um, and really dreading having to make that call and, and when I did, my mum said, what did we do wrong? And I remember thinking, wow, it's it's not about you, this is, this is about me and... Uh, yeah, she, she cried quite a lot and that was really all that was said at the time. The stigma surrounding the work um, I felt was unfair and uh, I was enjoying the work immensely. At that stage I was I was writing for the student paper and I was, I was dancing three or four nights a week. I was applying myself pretty diligently to my studies so I felt like I'd achieved a good balance and I'd didn't feel that I should have to give it up. So she didn't. 
Fast forward a few weeks and an announcement was made at the club that took Lee by surprise. A competition was coming up, Miss Nude Canterbury, and all of Rock and Rod's dancers were expected to enter. It was non-negotiable and some dancers responded to that by not turning up. Um, I responded by spending a lot of time sequining outfits and putting music together and um, approaching it like any other competition. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was it was a little bit of a letdown. There were six of us and um, it started by, by us getting up on stage topless and drawing a number from a hat from an old timer in the front row and that dictated our order of appearance and I remember thinking it was sort of beside the point to get up naked when we were supposed to be stripping. Um, so yeah, we each did a we each did a set and um, uh, there was there were five other trophies um, for best show, best legs, best breasts, etc. And uh, when it came to to the awards, um, I didn't win any of these five, and I remember thinking, well, I should have won something, surely I wasn't that bad. It was kind of like the final of Miss Universe, apart from the naked bits. Everyone was kept guessing, and then... Craig announced that the winner of Miss New Canterbury 1994 was Holly, and... Uh, then he proceeded to drape a sash over me and give me a massive bunch of flowers and the big trophy and the whole time I was standing there trying to compute how could I have won if I hadn't won any of these other titles it just logically didn't make sense in my head so um, yeah I sensed even then that it wasn't a real competition that things like this were staged and that they were publicity stunts and uh and then I wanted to say a few words and I could see that he wasn't going to give me the microphone and when I finally took it from him I hadn't thought of anything to say. I remember mumbling something about thanking my flatmates for all their patient sequining of my costumes which was about the most unsexy thing you could say and yeah he snatched the microphone back from me and said give Holly another round of applause and then I was hurried off stage. It was soon after winning Miss Nude Canterbury that Lee had an experience that made her realise she wasn't nearly as in control of things as she thought. I, I caught a taxi home one night and um, the driver glanced at me at the rear vision mirror and then he said, nice pics. And I said, huh? And he said, uh, the picture magazine. And I said to him, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then he handed me this magazine and flicked on the inside light and said, take a look, you're in there somewhere. And and I'd never heard of Picture Magazine up until then. And yeah, there I was. There were three photos. Um, two of them were fully nude. One was uh, in a G-string and they had been taken in the club without my knowing. And uh, I was furious and frustrated and... Part of me was kind of delighted by the photos, by the exposure, but I wasn't delighted by the text. It was um, quoting me, saying things that I had never said, um, calling me a luscious hornbag and just, you know, really debasing content. And uh, I remember thinking, I'm going to sue every last person involved with this. So I went and saw a lawyer and, and he said, well... You know, it's really hard to win these things. You'll get a lot of publicity uh, that you don't want. And right now, 
not many people know that you even work there so suck it up and uh, that was what I did. It was the first time I realised that I possibly wasn't totally in control of what I was doing, that there were outside factors at play that were bigger than me and that I was really just one person in a much wider industry. It was a wake-up call, but not the kind to make Lee quit stripping, just enough to make her a little wiser, a little more street savvy. This was just the start of her naked dancing career. She went on to strip in Australia and London and then back to Australia again. And those words from the working girl who handed over her paycheck in her old club in Christchurch would come back to haunt her often. Time and time again she tried to turn her back on stripping and time and time again she returned to it. It was indeed a difficult industry to get out of. I think I left and came back probably around eight times, seven, eight times. Seriously, probably two or three. I missed it. I missed the community. I missed uh, my co-workers. I missed the money. I missed the flexibility of being my own boss, the independence. Um, I'm kind of nomadic at heart in many ways and I really loved that I could dip back into this realm, um, make some money, save up and then go off and, and do something else for a while and I always had a job to come back to. I could dictate um, largely what that looked like and I was respected within that realm. So yeah, it was that, that pull was really, really tempting. Looking back, she says of that early warning... I think it was very good advice. Uh, I think it was also advice that I didn't know how to process at 19. Um, I, yeah, I don't know I would have played it any differently, to be honest. Um, I just possibly might have gotten out a little earlier. All up, she stripped for 20 years. She gave up just a couple of years ago, around the time she turned 40. This time, she says, there's no going back. I've grown, I've aged, I'm, I'm looking for different things out of life than I was then. Well, I'm looking for um, more time in nature, more quiet time, more real connection. Yeah, less fantasy, less drama, less theatre. Um, and that involves compromise. Yeah, I'm looking at more genuine relationships, both with myself and with the people close to me and, and with the world generally. And while Lee is moving on with a new chapter in her life, she has few regrets about her time as a temptress. It was a colourful life, lived simultaneously in the shadows and in the limelight. Although she does have one constant reminder that she could do without, a not often heard about stripper's injury. <laughs> yeah, when I, when I would perform I would always um, rotate in one direction so my pelvis is permanently twisted in one direction which I've been <laughs> attempting to straighten out. You've been listening to The Lip, I'm Megan McChesney. These days, Lee is a yoga teacher, a journalist, and a writer. Recently, she published a memoir called Two Decades Naked, all about her long career as a stripper. There really is so much more to her story than what we could fit into this episode. It's well worth a read. 
You can find Two Decades Naked at selected bookshops and also on Amazon. Those details are also on our website, thelitpodcast.kiwi. We release an extraordinary true tale every month and you can find all our previous episodes just waiting for your ears on thelitpodcast.kiwi. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher and the new current affairs and culture website noted.co.nz. If you've been meaning to subscribe and haven't quite got around to it yet, it's never too late. And it's a great way to support this podcast into the future. Don't forget you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. So that's it from me. See you next month for another true story.